If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. If you just read the bio for Dr. Steve, host of Weird Medicine on Sirius XM 103 and made popular by two really comedy shows, Opie and Anthony and Ron and Fez, you would have thought that this guy was, was a bit of a, you know, a, a clown. Your show was better when you had medical questions. Hey! I've got diphtheria crushing my esophagus. I've got Ebola virus dripping from my nose. I've got the leprosy of the heart valve exacerbating my incredible woes. I want to take my brain out and blast with the wave an ultrasonic echographic and a pulsating shave. I want a magic pill for all my ailments. The health equivalent of Citizen Kane. And if I don't get it now in the tablet, I think I'm doomed and I'll have to go insane. I want a requiem for my disease. So I'm paging Dr. Steve. It's Weird Medicine, the first and still only uncensored medical show on the history of broadcast radio, now a podcast. I'm Dr. Steve with my little pal, Dr. Scott, the traditional Chinese medical practitioner who keeps the alternative wacko medical assholes at bay. Thank you, Dr. Scott. <laughs> hey, Dr. Steve. This is a show for people who never listen to a medical show on the radio or the internet. If you've got a question you're embarrassed to take to your regular medical provider, if you can't find an answer anywhere else, give us a call at 347-766-4323. That's 347-Poohhead. Follow us on Twitter at Weird Medicine or at drscottwm and visit our website at drsteve.com for podcasts, medical news, and stuff you can buy. Most importantly, we are not your medical providers. Take everything you hear with a grain of salt. Don't act on anything you hear on this show without talking it over with your doctor, nurse practitioner, practical nurse, physician assistant, pharmacist, chiropractor, acupuncturist, yoga master, physical therapist, clinical laboratory scientist, registered dietitian, or whatever. All right, very good. Don't forget stuff.drsteve.com. That's stuff.drsteve.com for all of your Amazon shopping needs. And please check out Noom. Dot drsteve.com that's n-o-o-m dot drsteve.com for uh, the weight loss app Noom and you get 20% off and if you decide to pay for it and but you get two weeks free just to try it out and uh, you can get to your ideal body weight and you can stay there and it's not a damn diet it's a psychology program it'll help you in other facets of your life as well 
Then there's backpain.drsteve.com. Uh, if you want to look at the tilt table I bought mm-hmm. that has really helped me. And, you know, I haven't done it in the last couple of days. I took my kid and 11 <laughs> of his friends to Gatlinburg to just run around, and we took them to Dick's <laughs> last resort, and they did all this crazy stuff. And it was really fun. But I couldn't just throw the the table in the back. And, you know, my I'm hurting a little bit. As soon as you and I get done here, Scott, I'm going to run down there and get on that thing but backpain.drsteve.com you got to spell out doctor on that one till i get unlazy and work it to the other domain as well <laughs> but anyway all right don't forget uh, dr scott's website at simplyherbals.net simplyherbals.net and uh, we were going to do a cameo today because mm-hmm. we did one last week and we got some pretty good response to it and there's a person <laughs> who wants us to do one but then I get I get this phone call. You shouldn't do your cameos over the radio. They can just listen to that for free. Yeah. They're paying extra for something special. <laughs> oh, okay, I get it. So he's looking out for the poor person that did, you know, that we did the cameo that they oh, they got to hear it for free, but the um anybody can look at them for free. I was really just kind of trying to get it out there that we were doing cameos okay and uh also i don't know i thought it'd be kind of fun if somebody did a cameo but they also broadcast it to the nation on their radio show maybe not maybe that guy's right hell i don't know hell i don't know (laughs) we had it it, his phone call changed what i was going to do today because i thought it'd be fun to do another one and I've got one where you get to do a little role play. Oh. Yeah, you get to play this guy's wife. Oh, good. And I'll be the guy, okay. and then you get to be his wife. Do we have to practice anything? Or? No, it'd take two seconds. And there's no, you know. Thank you, Panky. No, none of that. It's not <laughs> like that. Good. <laughs> you just God. get to play, play the role. Play the, okay, I can, I can play, play, play the game, Martini. Yep, there you go. So don't let me forget that when we hang up, but I'm not going to do it on the show. Because that guy said it was a bad idea. Hmm. And I always listen to what everybody says, no matter who they are or what they're saying. So there you go. (laughs) All right. Um, You got any stories for us today? Nothing interesting yet, but I'm still looking. I'm not giving up yet. I know that the uh, CDC had three criteria for declaring COVID over. I do know that even despite increasing... uh, opening our society in our area cases continue to drop i think i told you last week our whole health system had up to about 450 cases i think in the hospital and uh last week it was 52 today it was 38 so it continues to drop even though more and more people i mean it's weird i'll tell you it's amazing what you can get used to in a year and going into the grocery store and they have a sign that says if you've been vaccinated you don't have to wear a mask I've seen people go, well, I I want to wear a mask to show that I care, but I also want to show that I've been vaccinated and I don't, you know, I don't know what to do. It's like, just do whatever. Nobody cares. Wear it. Nobody's looking at you. No, no. So, um, so yeah. So if they say I don't need to wear one, I don't wear one. I'm not a threat to anybody. Mm -hmm. And, um. That's the main thing. I keep having to tell this to myself. So, and I work in this. Sure. And I, I'm sure that other people who don't work in this have have some reservations about it. But the, remember, the my mask protects you. So if I don't have it, 
mm-hmm. and I know I don't have it, and I've been vaccinated, and even if vaccination causes an a, you know, me to get an asymptomatic transmission, or I'm sorry, asymptomatic infection, which we don't have a lot of evidence for, there's some, a little bit, mm-hmm. <clears throat> then uh, I'm still no danger to you, so why should I wear a mask? Mm-hmm. I just hate how mask wearing became this political thing. Yep. Yep. That if you wore a mask, you were a sheep, and if you didn't wear a mask, well, you didn't care, or you were a, you know, a, a right winger or whatever. It's like <laughs> no, just you know, we talk about following the science, and then nobody followed the science. No, they try to make it. They try to make it <laughs> political instead. Of just, well, yeah, just make just you know, politics plus medicine equals what? The answer is bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> Give yourself a bill. Yeah, 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 that's a that's an equally um, it's close. Uh, that's close. Isn't it? uh, yeah, that's a <laughs> equally excellent answer. The answer is politics. <laughs> politics plus medicine equals politics. But yes, I will accept bullshit. <laughs> But you did not phrase it in the form of a question. That is true. Yes, that is true. I failed <laughs> miserably. All right. I will. Um, yeah, I, if we did that on Jeopardy, the answer would be bullshit. Mm-hmm. What then, is bullshit? And then you would have to say, what is politics plus medicine? Yes. yes right. Yes. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> so you don't have anything? No, I'm working on it. I'm trying to find some good stuff today. Okay. Look up that thing about the three criteria for declaring the pandemic over. Yeah, sure, sure. That's, that was from the CDC. All right. Good good show. All right. Let me try this one again. All right. So my daughter wakes up every once in a while. Like, it's odd. It it happens. Okay. Wait a minute. Number one thing, don't take advice from some asshole on the radio. Just needed to remind you. It'll happen, you know, after like a month of no incidents. Okay. Where her, she says her butt hurts. I mean, we've done, like, there's no... We thought it was constipation, maybe, causing spasms. We thought it was UTI. The only thing that seems to work are sits bath. Do you think an eight-year-old could have levator spasms? Yeah. I don't like it. Yeah, she'll just, like, clench her butt and go and, and, like, be crying. But then after a little bit, it's fine. She literally wakes her up at, like, 10, 11 o'clock at night. I don't know what the F is going on. So I don't know if you have any opinion on that. Because I had a patient the other night tell me about levator spasms. I'm like, oh, that might be it. Yeah. So interesting to hear what you think. Yeah, pelvic pain in children can be anywhere from mild to severe. It's usually a sharp stabbing uh, pain in the nether regions, often in the rectum, though. They have rectal spasms. And you know how we've talked about if you get a urethral spasm in a male, if you just dip the male's junk in warm water, not warm, not hot water, it'll sure. go away. Sure. That's why sit spas work. Right on. That warmth uh, causes a relaxation of those sphincter muscles, blood flow increases, all that stuff. And it usually starts um, sporadically, in the, but then it can become more uh, frequent. And it is interesting that it is reported that they commonly occur at the end of the day or when the kid is uh, in bed. It can wake them up, and uh, then they find relief with uh, heat or a warm bath. So that's pretty much what this is. Mm-hmm. So it's some sort of pelvic spasm. It can be caused by pelvic floor muscle tension, abdominal muscle ten- uh, 
tension, constipation can do it, sure. stress, anxiety, lots of different things. So uh, there are actually pelvic pain clinics. I can tell you one, and I don't know where this is, though. Um, <clears throat> well, this is Australian. Let's, Dr. Scott, look and see if there's a pediatric pelvic pain clinic in the United States. This one's actually in Sydney, Australia that I'm looking at. Okay. And uh, what they do is they investigate to make sure there's no underlying uh, serious issues. And when those have been ruled out, then they got to figure out what kind of, which muscle is spasming. And then they'll usually have them see a physiotherapist and they may do education, manual, you know, uh, therapy, which would be massage, that kind of stuff, exercises, bladder bowel training, diet and lifestyle changing and that kind of stuff. They usually do not do internal pelvic exams on children, but they can. But they may uh, use ultrasound. So have you found anything over there, Dr. Scott? Yeah, you know, I found in Seattle they have a pelvic floor dysfunction um, clinic in Seattle. Yeah. But it looks like there's a lot of um, places throughout the United States. If you just dig a little bit, yeah, you most, should find it. Most university centers for sure will have it. And you can just look around and just look for pelvic pain in children near me or something like that. Yeah, and if, and if you have a teaching school near you, especially a physical therapy school, yep. Yep. a physical therapy school might be a good place to reach out to and see if they have any specialists with the peds. Yeah, they say here, although pelvic pain is more common from the teenage years onwards, it can also affect children as young as six years old. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's what it is. Good call. Yeah. And good call on figuring out what helps, which is the sits bath. So give yourself a bill. Give me one of those. All right. Good job. Yeah, let us know what they find and what works and all that stuff. We'll pass it on to other people. Can't be the only people listening to have this problem. Oh. God, have you ever had your taint spasm? Hey, Doc. We get a Charlie horse in your taint. Oh yeah. Oh God, that's the worst thing. It's pretty miserable. Because <laughs> you know, if you get a Charlie horse in your leg. You can stand up and stretch those muscles because the counter stretch is the is the key. Mm-hmm. Hard to counter stretch your dang taint. Yes, yes, it is. So I wonder if I am a little magnesium because you know they have yeah. some mag- you know as far as a magnesium people suppository it, <clears throat> might help. People think it's potassium, yeah. so they'll eat a bunch of bananas. It's rarely potassium, right? May more often magnesium. <clears throat> and um, using uh, tonic water or quinine. Quine, yeah, wa- yeah, tonic water with quinine in it, sure. Can, can also be can helpful, help. although in a nine-year-old, I don't know. I'd, I'd ask my primary care provider about that, but tonic water is pretty benign. Yeah. Quinine pills in the higher doses was a little bit of an issue, but yeah, I wouldn't give that to a kid. No, there's teeny teeny amounts of quinine. You can just, well, again, ask your ask your pediatrician. <laughs> yeah, 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 don't listen to us. All right. So, uh, yeah, but do, please do let us know what they find. Yep. But get her checked out. Hey, Doc. Hey, man. Ramsall again. Hey, Ramsall. I'm getting ready to have hernia surgery on Monday. And my surgeon decided to do open instead of the laparoscopy. And I was wondering if you could tell me the disadvantages or the advantages and which one is, might be better than the other one. She's telling me that I'll have... <laughs> About approximately the same amount of pain, but she feels like she can do a better job well, with then the open one. Let her do it then. Just ask him. Thanks, man. If she thinks that she can do a better job doing it open, then you don't want to hamstring or handcuff her. No. Let her. That's like if, it, if the pilot <laughs> says the plane's not, not <laughs> yeah, safe right, to fly, right. you say, 
okay, but that's let's just let's do what they say. Yeah, yeah exactly. She's right. She's just more co- she's more yeah, comfortable if, doing it with an open. If there's procedure. a mechanical problem on the plane, it's like let's take your time. Yeah, yeah. Let's don't rush. Yeah. So let's get everybody on the same page. This person's having a hernia surgery. There are lots of hernias. I'm going to assume it's an inguinal hernia. In other words, one in their grinds there, Dr. Scott. The grind. In the old grinds. Yep. As we would say in Tennessee, groin, as you all would say. And um, you. so basically a hernia is when one structure bloops through another structure and it's not supposed to. So you have a hiatal hernia is where the portion of the stomach works its way above the diaphragm. And the hole in that diaphragm is called the hiatus. So, you know, the esophagus has to pass through the diaphragm. So there has to be a hole in the diaphragm, then the stomach is underneath it. Right. When a portion of the stomach passes above the uh, diaphragm, it is a hiatal hernia because it passes through the hiatus. This is an inguinal hernia where uh, <clears throat> bowel wall or bowel itself will pass either directly through the inguinal region in the groin, or it'll pass indirectly through one of the rings where the vas deferin passes through. So there's two ways that you can do it. Both of those will produce a swelling in the uh, on that side of the groin. Every once in a while, <clears throat> people will have a hernia works its way all the way into the scrotum. Yes. I When I was tr- in medical school, there was a patient, and he was morbidly obese, and he had such a huge stomach that his stomach actually herniated into his scrotum. Ooh. And whenever he would drink coffee, his testicles would heat up. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> it was interesting. That's interesting. Yeah. So in that case, the stomach is passing through a structure it's not supposed to. Mm. Therefore, it's called a hernia. And since the area that it comes out is in the inguinal region, we call those inguinal hernias. So an open inguinal repair is when you just cut the person open with a scalpel and work your way in there, dissect out all the tissues, close up the hernia, close everything up. A laparoscopic one is where you use a laparoscope. You use a scope. It's a much smaller incision. You're not, op- you know, filleting the patient open. And it takes some significant skill to learn how to do that because when you're looking through the scope, you're not just exposing all those tissues and seeing that you have to start seeing things differently. Yeah, right. Through the eye of the laparoscope. And some of the structures in there are kind of difficult to identify. Well, sure, they're hard to identify even when you can just look at them with your right. own two eyes. Yeah, even if you've got I'm always them. amazed yeah. by this. But you know, surgeons develop a way where they can see a fold and then another fold on top of it and say, oh, I know what that structure is. Right. Because they do a million of them. Yeah, as you'll say, it's called, it's called hands on the tool. That's right. So these laparoscopic techniques have been used, you know, really since the early part of the century. But um, the first laparoscopic procedure on a human was done in 1910, but uh, it became really popular for things like gallbladder and hernias and stuff much later than that. Now, most hernia repairs are done doing laparoscopic surgery. Main reasons are shorter recovery times, uh, usually no need for a hospital stay at all. Right. You just, it's an outpatient procedure. 
you get a smaller scar, as I said. You know, it's one to two centimeters compared to four to five centimeters. And uh, usually it's less pain after the procedure. You know, I'm looking at a study here. It says 60, 66% of patients had very little or no pain compared to uh, 33% for open surgery. Okay. Makes sense. So I'm though. not sure I agree with her that the pain's going to be the same. Yeah. Probably it'll be the same. Or it won't be a whole lot worse any than that. Think, but, yeah. but it, you know, according to the literature, more people will be pain-free laparoscopically. Mm-hmm. Now, there are some drawbacks, <clears throat> and there's two factors involved in that. First, something we already alluded to, the surgeon is using instruments and the operating at a distance rather than getting your fingers in there. You're using indirect tools. Mm-hmm. You know, you're manipulating these long scissors or little rods and stuff to move things around. Whereas, you know, if you cut somebody open, you just use your fingers and move them around. Yeah, you can feel things better. Yeah, you better well, you can feel them at all. Yeah. It's hard to feel them doing it this way. Oh, yeah, live shop would be very difficult. The, these guys are geniuses. I mean, I have mad respect for surgeons who can do laparoscopic surgery because it kind of blows my mind. Given that I'm old school, I've yeah. been there and done open uh, <clears throat> gallbladder removals. Mm-hmm. We would call that a cholecystectomy, Dr. Scott. Yes. But, uh, and, you know, it's hard enough doing it that way. It's crazy when you have a hole in the patient's, uh, you know, navel and their right. belly button. Right. And you've passed this tube through there, and then you've got these other holes where you've got the things that you're manipulating yep. tissues with, but it's all remote. Yep. <laughs> it's like a Waldo. You know what a Waldo is? <clears throat> no. Waldo is one of those things where you uh, can manipulate, say, radioactive stuff behind a glass. Oh. You've seen them. Sure. Where it's, the hands will mimic the movement that you're doing with your hands. Okay, okay, yeah. And one thing with Waldo's that you can do is you can motorize them so a little movement on your part could be a big movement on the part of the claw on the right. other side of the glass. Or vice versa, I would assume. Yeah. Because yeah. this one, this, I think this <laughs> Yes, one, that's right. That's yeah. robots are kind of that way yeah. where they take a big movement and make it much smaller. And But you could go the other way, too, and make it sort of cybernetic so that you could do things you couldn't do otherwise, like crush a crush a. I don't know, a yeah. brick or something yeah, like that. Yeah, bowling bar or something, yeah. Yeah, so you're yep. moving your fingers like you're crushing it, but it's actually the claw that's doing it. Right. A, a good example of a really shitty Waldo is those games with the claws where you try to pick oh. up the <laughs> things at the fair or whatever, right. you know. Yeah, the grocery store. You, that's basically yeah. a Waldo. <laughs> okay. So you kind of have an idea what yeah. I'm talking about. That's cool. Uh, and just imagine trying to do surgery that way. Yeah, that'd be difficult. With... Uh, Obviously, more dexterity than you have with those dumb uh, games because they do that. They make that difficult on purpose. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, it's kind of the same thing. So so that's one of the, the issues. And secondly, the visualization uh, with the video camera doesn't give the same depth of vision as direct eyesight does. Mm-hmm. You know, it's flat. Right. A whole lot different. And even if you did it in stereo, it's not the same. Mm-hmm. So uh, there can be an there can be an increased risk of inadvertent injury. So you always want to ask the surgeon, you know, hey, what's your complication rate with this open versus laparoscopic? Mm-hmm. It's about the same, but they're both terrible. Run, 
because that yeah. person's a terrible yeah. surgeon. But uh, if they're both very low and maybe it's a little bit higher with the laparoscopic surgery, you can deal with that. Sure. So that's the big thing. Now, if the hernia is really large or it's been there for a long time, they're going to do the open procedure if they can. Mm-hmm. Mainly because there's going to be scar tissue and all this other crap that's in there, and it's just big and globby, and it's just hard to do with the laparoscope. Now, every once in a while, when they get in there with the laparoscope, maybe there's bleeding or they nick an artery or something, and they've got to open. They have to convert it. Then they have to, to an open. open, right? So that's a possibility. Mm. There, uh, this preference for lapro- laparoscopic approach for inguinal hernia repair is backed up by a lot of studies ranging from 1998 to 2016, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. So uh, there, there is good evidence for doing the laparoscopic version. Mm-hmm. Of course, you know, she may have seen on the image or something. He may have a lot more damage in there than he knows. Yeah, or it could have been there yeah, for 10 years. It could have been, been one of those guys where it's been he's there for 10 years and he didn't mess out. with it until his <laughs> wife said, I'm not going to have intercourse with you again. Until you have this big lump taken bulge. out of you, this bulge <laughs> that's not an attractive bulge. Yes. Unlike the other bulge that's very attractive. That's right. Um, they did a randomized clinical trial of laparoscopic versus open repair, and they found that operating time was longer for the laparoscopic approach, about 25% longer. Mm-hmm. And blood loss during the procedure was less for the laparoscopic group. Uh, complications during surgery were higher in the laparoscopic, but it was still both of them were low. It was 9% versus 2%. No statistically significant difference in, turn of po- in terms of postoperative pain between the two approaches, which is interesting because that conflicts with the other article that we just looked at that said it was uh, 66% of patients had no pain for a laparoscopic versus 33 for an open. But uh, this study, and this is more recent, so I'll buy it, showed no statistically significant difference in terms of postoperative pain. So I, if she's looking at that study, I, I can't argue with her. But, um, and uh, recurrence rates are about the same. Neither one of them were better for preventing recurrence. Okay. And these things can recur. Shoot you. Yeah. All right. Anything else? Good luck. All right. Hang in there. Get you an ice pack. Yeah, let us know how it goes. Well, (laughs) you could do what Dr. Scott says, or you could just do whatever the surgeon tells you to do. (laughs) Well, that's true. I'm not not, trying to (laughs) give you any any improper Uh, advice. That's right. You're a good one. All right, here we go. Today's episode is brought to you by Angie. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs and projects done well. Let me tell you, there's the version of it where you try to do something at home, and then there's a version of it where you have someone help you, you watch them do it the right way, and you go, thank God I didn't try to do that myself. I have fully done things around the home that I think look good, and then a bang in the night, and I wake up to a shelf collapsing, a painting falling off the wall. Like it, I've, I've seen it all go south. I own a home, and I can tell you... I know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Whatever your home project, big or small, indoor or outdoor, you can Angie that and connect with skilled professionals to get the project done well. Right now, one of my wish lists is I want a bike for my condo in Milwaukee and I would love to rig it up on a pulley in the ceiling because I have one of those like lofted ceilings, but I'm so scared to try that on my own. Angie has 20 years of home experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. 
Bring them your project online or with the Angie app. Answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hey, Dr. Steve, how are you? Good, man. How are you? <laughs> Me too. <laughs> hey, Dr. Scott, how are you? Hey, awesome. I just got a question. Uh, let's <laughs> talk <awesome>. testosterone. <laughs> uh, I just recently got mine checked, and it's at 194 free testosterone. And or no, 194, and then free testosterone is 20. Oh, um, so it's fairly low. I'm uh, terrified to start treatment because of the management process and change of life. Um, you know, mm. being dependent on on taking the stuff. Oh, I see. So I'm wondering if I start replacement therapy. Yeah. If now I'm stuck doing this the rest of my life. Um, I have read that your body will shut down production once you start already has um, he isn't but isn't anyway testosterone naturally yeah. however does production start back up at any point if you stop no. um also dr scott is do you recommend any um, natural methods um <clears throat> a little side note i think i kind of did this to myself i was a heavy drinker for many years about a fifth a day so um that helps you with your answer um Oh, and a side question. I have a friend that's on Suboxone. Apparently, this there's a relationship between low T and Suboxone. Well, um, yeah. You can touch on that a little bit. Oh, um, yeah. It's all opioids. Suboxone would... So people who are on, I'll answer that part first. The people who are on chronic opioids have an increased risk of low testosterone for whatever reason. And uh, so when I see someone in, let's say, in the cancer center and they're on chronic opioids for cancer pain, they complain of fatigue, I don't just throw speed at them because you can do that, or modafinil, which is provigil. But what I'll always do is uh, there's three main things that can cause fatigue in a male. One is low thyroid. One is anemia or low blood count. And the other one is low testosterone. So I'll check all three of those. If none of those are abnormal, then, yeah, I don't mind throwing a little speed at them. Right. Um, And when I say speed, I mean, we use methylphenidate, but you can use dextroamphetamine, too. Mm -hmm. And a little bit in the morning Not to be confused with methamphetamine, No, 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 no. (laughs) (laughs) That's a different thing. (laughs) Some of them are doing that anyway. Exactly. But, but, um, yeah, I mean, it just gives you a little uh, pick-me-up in the morning, so to speak. But uh, uh, so, but the low testosterone and opioid, chronic opioids are re, are related. So um, ninety plus percent, probably almost all of the testosterone that in your body is uh, bound to either a protein called sex hormone binding globulin or albumin, which is a very common protein in the blood, and this is. Re- 
referred to as what we call bound testosterone, and then the other 2% is free testosterone. And it's the free testosterone that connects with the testosterone receptors. So all that bound testosterone doesn't do very much. And uh, when the cell kind of uh, absorbs that testosterone molecule, that's when it kicks in and starts doing whatever it's supposed to do, either, uh, you know, increasing muscle or bone uh, density or uh, producing sexual... Uh, sexual characteristics in men, you know, growth of pubic hair, later on loss of hair at the top of the head, that kind of stuff. Um, so total testosterone is sort of that grand total of all the all the uh, testosterone that's available. And then the free testosterone is that part that's not bound to something else. So um, if he has been diagnosed, and just he didn't say what the normals are in his lab but both of those sound relatively low yeah so let's just say that that's low in their lab Uh, yes if you go on testosterone replacement therapy you're basically replacing and bringing up to normal levels the testosterone hormone in your bloodstream and when you do that the uh, testicles the testicles don't see any reason I was working on my Greek this weekend. There you so go. I that said testicles. That makes sense. Hello, I am testicles of the island of Pinos. <laughs> but um, so uh, the testicles just go, well, hell, what are we hanging around here yeah. for? And they just go to sleep. Yeah. And because there is a feedback loop in the body mm. where the testicles produce some te- uh, testosterone and the pituitary gland. Uh, adjusts it by kind of knowing what level it wants. Mm. So when it detects there's a little bit too much testosterone, it decreases the buy signal. You can think of it that way. It, mm. You know, like if you were, if it was the stock market, <laughs> it would stop buying more testosterone. And so if you're not buying more testosterone, the testicles will quit selling it or quit producing it. Mm. And so the level drops. And now when the level drops below a certain level, the uh, pituitary gland will secrete uh, these hormones that say buy more testosterone. And then the testosterone level will increase. And almost every hormone system in the body has this feedback loop that keeps the levels pretty accurate. Mm -hmm. And the thing about... A loop like that is if you need more, it's easy to get more. Mm-hmm. If you need less, it's easy to get less. And it's very nimble that way because you're always constantly, just constantly adjusting. Yeah, it's waxing and waning, isn't it? Yep, yep, yep. yep. So, um, and, and tweaking the levels. You're just constantly sure. tweaking the levels. When you add in exogenous, in other words, testosterone outside the body, so exogenous testosterone, as opposed to endogenous testosterone. That's that's testosterone that's produced inside the body. Mm-hmm. So exogenous testosterone. The pituitary gland will receive that signal saying, hey, there's plenty of testosterone in here, and it'll stop that buy order. Mm-hmm. It'll say, hey, you guys cut the, cut, you don't have to produce any. We've got plenty. Right. And the testicles go, okay, and that's it. Yeah. They stop producing, and then they'll shrink in size. Right. So people who are on chronic t- uh, testosterone replacement therapy, their testicles will shrink in size. And if they stop it suddenly, the testicles will not rebound. No. 
if they if you've been on it long enough. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. I have seen people who shut their testicles down to the point where when they were off the testosterone, their testosterone level was zero. Yes. And, you know, sometimes in certain types of prostate cancers, they will actually oh, do that on purpose. Give, yeah, they'll actually give medication to, to make it zero. Yeah. Intentionally up. Yeah, because testosterone and prostate cancer is like kerosene and a brush fire. Sure. So you want to minimize the prostate cancer cells, any exposure to testosterone. Mm-hmm. Now, if um, you want to prevent those things, if you want your testicles to rebound after you've been on this stuff for a while and you want to retain fertility, because that's the other thing, mm-hmm. is when the testicles shut down, I mean, they shut down. Yeah, they quit. And uh, you will most likely become infertile a- after some period of time. Mm-hmm not producing sperm and anymore and all that stuff so uh and because some of the those hormones that in, cause the testicles to produce testosterone also stimulate uh spermatogenesis or the creation of sperm cells right so when you shut those down too they just you, you know you, your sperm count drops now if you want to avoid all of that you can use a drug called clomiphene, and clomiphene works differently. And it basically encourages, I won't go through the whole pathophysiology and, or, and, and pharmacokinetics and all that stuff of clomiphene, but uh, clomiphene, basically, the end result is that it encourages the testicles to make their own testosterone. Mm-hmm. And when you do that, the testicles don't shrink and you don't lose fertility because it's actually a, a way to stimulate them to to stop being lazy. Because people will become hypogonadic, a.k.a. low test. They'll have low testosterone because their testicles become lazy. Right. Okay? Yeah. So clomiphene, and you could talk to your primary or your treating uh, endocrinologist about that. There are some downsides, as there are for everything. Yes. So just talk to them and see uh, if clomiphene is for you. We've had some people in our practice that wanted to retain fertility, but they had low T. They were young, wanted to have kids. Instead of going on testosterone replacement therapy, they went on clomiphene. They've been doing very well and sired children. Mm. Well, you know, the other other part of this question was any kind of... Oh yeah, you know, yes. You know, other other things. Yeah, but I forgot about the second, the most important part. Does well, Doctor Scott have any quackery he can throw at this? Over I don't have any quackery, no, but I, I have I, real I, things. Not well, not on this one anyway. Uh, maybe others, but but you know, a couple of things. If he's not tried, there are some other things that, that have shown to increase testosterone. Okay, you know, weight loss, exercise, yes, ec- um, you know, weightlifting have been shown to all help a little bit. Uh, so if if he does if he does still have some 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 function. Yep. He may be able to boost that function by losing weight by exercising. You know, some vitamin supplements have shown a little bit of help, like maybe zinc, vitamin A, vitamin C, vitamin B. Um, and there are some over-the-counter supplements that, that seem to work pretty well that you'll see advertised on television. And some of those, for some people, work pretty well. But they're mostly full of a bunch of vitamins and supplements. Yeah. Um, and... Um, well, they'll have precursors to testosterone, too. And it really, you know, when you take things like DHEA, um, which is dihydroepiandosterone, and <clears throat> when you take that as a, and you're increasing the substrate to make more testosterone, the problem really isn't that you don't have enough substrate, mm-hmm. but you're trying to brute force it. Well, right. look, I've, I've sent you, a, you know, 
a hundred times more bricks than you need. You better build some houses build, out of it so that you don't now. have a bunch of bricks just laying around, <laughs> right. you know? Yep. And uh, so that's, the, but also DHEA, if I'm not incorrect, you might look this up. It's also a substrate for estrogen production. So you could I have is, the, yeah. the, wrong, uh, the wrong outcome if you metabolize it. Yeah, uh, I agree. Toward uh, estrogen rather than testosterone. Yeah. And one, can I can I add one other thing? Of course. Yeah, but but in, in real quick too, lowering stress levels, lowering cortisol levels. Yes. Can also sometimes help. So you know, maybe getting a better night's sleep. Um, maybe. And since he did say he did have used to be drinking no, I'm going to give you one of, of these right here. Yeah. Give yourself a bill. Because I'm looking at a study that says sleeping seven to eight hours every night will. Have, help to boost your testosterone yeah and if he's not drinking a, a um, an entire liter of um alcohol every evening then he should be sleeping a little bit better and get some some um some energy up one would hope yeah so, so there's there, there well, you said a bunch of stuff that was right dr scott well there you go maintaining a healthy weight overweight men are more likely to have low testosterone exercising sedentary men tend to have reduced levels of testosterone lack of sleep affects the hormones in your body there's a 2011 study of 165 men that suggested that vitamin D supplementation might increase yeah. their testosterone sure. levels. And you can always do these lifestyle things. Anyway. And then go <laughs> right, or do them anyway. Yeah. But then go back and get your blood checked again, sure. see if it makes any difference. And Dr. Steve, you know as well as I do. And, but you don't care if it's a number on a piece of paper it's, if, it's right and if it's not necessarily the number if you're feeling better that's right because if your your numbers don't have to go up for you to feel better that's right and that's the key to remember here yeah but, there's some know. some evidence that caffeine may increase your levels and then dr scott already said zinc mm-hmm. zinc deficiency has been associated with hypogonadism but zinc taking zinc will only work if you have a zinc deficiency Correct. what were you going to say no that was dead nothing else I, okay but I think that's, I think he's got a bunch of good options, and then if he does need supplementation, you know I take I take testosterone supplements. Yeah, and then, me too. Thank goodness, you know it, I take it, the Androgel, and I do the shot, and I love it. Yep, love it, love it, love it. Our friend Chanda does the shots in her clinic. Mm-hmm. So, and we had that doctor on, and I can't remember his name, but he thought seemed to think that doing the shots was more effective than doing the gel. Although I couldn't understand that he said that 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 swing between right after the shot where you get a peak and Mm -hmm. then you get a trough Mm -hmm. somehow that's advantageous even though it's not physiologic yeah he was saying that's that's more normal and more advantageous than more normal though it's more normal to have a norm uh, a steady testosterone level than to have one that waxes and wanes one week high one week low it doesn't that's not how it works but but he was pretty sure of himself but he was (laughs) and it may be that physiology isn't the best way you know, we know, uh, I mean, our kidneys perfuse themselves a certain way that's physiologic, but if we allow them to just do it willy-nilly, we end up with high blood pressure, and it is better to take a pill to keep your blood pressure down to prevent a heart attack and stroke. So physiology isn't always the answer. And so uh, he may be right for other reasons, but he certainly was not right in the idea that that's somehow more like real life because it's not. Mm-hmm. But anyway, that was a long time ago. Okie doke. Yep. Let me pull out, hey, let me pull out a question from the past, an Odie but goodie, since I am not calling in enough questions. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. That's, um, who is that? That's Stace. Who is that? There you go. With the way too long intro. Ah! We need to start it right here. Yeah. 
Stacy DeLoach is a good old guy. Ugh, you there you stop go. Stop right there. That's Perfect. just a lie. No, he is a good old guy. Mm-hmm. All right. Let me pull up. Hey, let me pull out a question from the past, an oldie but goodie, since I am not calling in enough questions. Anyway, <laughs> blood types. And why can't, why aren't they, aren't all interchangeable with each other? All right. Thank you. Bye. Oh, so he's asking why we have blood types? That's an interesting damn question. Um, so blood types are interesting. Um, in that you can do some cool math with them, and the math is really easy. There's four main blood types, A, B, A, B, and O. And uh, the reason that they classified them that way was because they found that certain people's blood, when you mixed them together, coagulated. Okay. And then others didn't. It's like, well, what the hell? So, you know, we want to do surgery. You know, a lot of the, the advances in this stuff came from the military. Okay. And uh, we got somebody on the battlefield. They've lost a lot of blood. We want to give them blood. Well, you know, you don't want it to be a crapshoot. Right. So they have these molecules on their uh, surface called antigens. And these antigens are the things that cause the, um, the blood types to be. So people have different antigens, and it's genetic. And they've got, and there's more to it than that. There's RH factors as well. And there's a whole bunch of other stuff. You ever talk to somebody in a blood bank, there's all kinds of antibodies that are way beyond all of this stuff. Mm. But this guy, uh, this Austrian doctor, Karl Lonsteiner, identified uh, the blood antigens in 1901, which he called A and B. And then he found that some people didn't have either one, and he called them type O. Okay. And then uh, he had some students who later on discovered that some of the people had both, and those are type AB. Now, if you have um, a, a two people... Uh, oh, I need paper and pencil, Dr. No. Scott. Can you give me th- that paper? And if you got a pen over there? I do. All right. So let's say that you have two parents, and they're both AB. So they've got an A gene and a B gene. Both of them do. And you mate them together. So they will have one kid, if they, if they went by purely statistics, well, their kids have a 25% chance of being AA. Or, so that would be blood type A. Right. And then they had a 50% chance of being AB and then a 25% chance of being B. Because it, you make a little box, you put A and B on the top and A and B down the side, and then you cross cross them. So they'll have one is AA, one is AB, another one is AB, another one is BB. Gotcha. Okay? So 50% AB, 25% A, and 25% B. None of them can be blood type O. Right? Right. Okay. I'm gonna. I'm, there's a reason why I'm telling you this. Because my dad one day declared to he liked to exaggerate. He didn't. Like, he wasn't a liar, but he liked to. <laughs> he liked to be special. He said, "Yep, yeah, I'm type A B A B negative." And I went, "Well, that's interesting. Then you're not my father." <laughs> I was in medical school. We had done the blood type. I am blood type O. Right. So the only way. That, um, well, there's no way he could be A, B and be my father because mm-hmm. let's just do the math. So it would, would on the 
left side of the two-by-two box Mm -hmm. will do my dad. That's A-B. And let's just say my mom was just Mm O-O. Okay? She didn't... Well, she'd have to be. Right. Because she didn't have any of the antigens. Right. Okay? In this scenario. So uh, they, those two people, if those two people had intercourse, and I'm not saying, I'm saying one of them is not my parent, <laughs> but if they did, they would have one child that was AO, they'd have another child that was BO, and if you have A or B and O, then you are type A mm-hmm. or B. Right. They would have another kid that was AO and another kid that was BO. So all of their kids, 50% of them would be type A right. and 50% would be type B. Or they, that's the odds, yeah. There is no way. Well, right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's right, right. Uh, yeah, they could have six kids and they could all be type all A, they, but they'd right. just be, yeah. you know, they wouldn't be conforming with the statistics that we expect, <laughs> but that is possible. Sure, sure. You could take a two-sided die or, a, you know, a coin and flip heads six times in a row. Yep. Okay. Well, they would have a 100% chance of being A or B in this scenario. That is correct. A, okay. Yeah. That is correct. A or B, yeah. Give yourself a bill. No way could they be... Oh, type O. Right. So 0%. that's how I knew my dad was either lying or my mom cheated on it. And either one of those would be not great answers. So for me to be type O, now my mom could be type A and my dad be type B as long as she was AO and he was BO. Right. And he might have had BO. So that, that couple who's AO and BO would have one twenty five percent chance of having kids that were AB. Mm-hmm. And then uh, another 25% chance of having a kid that was type B, another 25% chance of being type A, and then there I am, type, type O. o yeah. right. one, one Turns quarter. out that my mom was type OO. Okay, mm-hmm. she was type O and I'm type O. The velocity. So my dad was type B, it turns out. And so in the, <laughs> that case, they had uh, one kid who's B-O. No, 50% of the kids would B-O. be B-O, and 50%. all the rest of the kids would, oh, be, uh, yep. would be type O. So anyway. Right so the math is pretty easy. It's kind of a fun genetic thing. Mm-hmm. Now, as to why, hell, I don't know. <laughs> it's just, uh, it's, uh, you know, probably regional and when we were growing as a species, we may have been separated genetically uh, by by mountain ranges or oceans, and we just developed blood slightly differently. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, there this article I'm looking at here say the A and B antigens evolved 20 million years ago, and nobody knows why. So maybe th- you know some blood types prevent against regional illnesses for example i was gonna say maybe it's some food could have been cholera yeah water foods cholera was one of them that's been suggested you know the um covid19 thing people with type o had a slight protection against covid19 uh infections and type a had a slight uh increased risk of covid19 Uh, infection. So they play some part in that kind of stuff. But what it is, mm-hmm. you know, it's still a mystery. I know. Which is interesting. You think we would know everything about this because the damn things were discovered 121 years yeah, ago. long time. Yeah, so it's crazy. Well, that was my Dave Cecil uh, ringtone. All right. Um, did we answer that? Yeah, the answer is, if the question is why do we have different blood types, the answer is I have no idea but is somewhat involved in infectious disease, seems to be at least peripherally. Hmm. All right. You got to fix your mic, though. It's off to the side. There you go. All right. Hey, Dr. Steve. 
Hey. How you doing? Uh, good, man. How are you? This is uh, John, the retired pharmacist. Hey, John. Hey, I had, uh, all of a sudden I'm losing hair. I'm 73. Okay. Uh-oh. Oh, no. About here, well, two we'll years ago, I diagnosed we'll with this uh, prostate cancer. I went through radiation. No side effects. Great choice for me. Uh, no surgery. Uh, nothing like that. I'm just wondering if by any chance, over the last six months or so, all of a sudden I'm finding considerable amount of hair in my um, drain. And I'm wondering if there's any chance uh, it has anything to do with going through that treatment um, or any other ideas you may have. Um, my dad had a full head of hair. Um, my two boys are bald, but that's probably from the mother's side. So hmm. anyhow. I appreciate your show. Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, Late onset male pattern baldness. It is quite suspicious that he went through uh, prostate cancer treatment. Mm -hmm. I wonder if um, he was on Lupron as well. Now, Lupron is a medication that uh, blocks testosterone. Uh, but, you know, the thing is, is that it's a little counterintuitive if that's what it is, because when you have um, uh, male pattern baldness, it's usually caused by exposure of the hair follicles to testosterone. So right. when you block the testosterone, you would think it would get better. That's um, when they use finasteride, some medication for uh enlarged prostate and the prostate would shrink because it's a testosterone blocker at the level of the cell it also blocks um, testosterone at the level of the hair follicle cells Hmm. and all of a sudden people start growing hair again so um, it's sold as Propecia in that case now Dr. Scott have you ever heard of Lupron causing baldness I don't know that he's on Lupron he may be yep I've heard of making some hot flashes, um, hair losses, and um, yeah. sometimes some generalized pain. But, you know, all those medications certainly affect people differently. Yeah, Lupron Depot, and, and I'm, we're just guessing Guess that he's right. on that. That's yeah. very common we treatment. we lost part of his, right. his question. Yeah. Lupron can cause hair loss in some people, and they think it's due to hormonal changes that the drug causes. But it is counterintuitive to me mm-hmm. that that's what it would be. So, um, I mean, that, that would work that way. It's just, you know, some drugs have a, the opposite effect than you think that they're going to. Yep. And often it's because there's a deeper pathway that's affected and not this sort of s- surface bullshit that you, uh, that you learned in uh, third year of medical school, you know. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, you know. No, I know it. I know it. All right. Here's one for you. So, yeah, I don't know the answer to that. I do know that stopping Lupron, sometimes the hair will grow back, but I would not stop it if they're treating you ongoing because you had uh, prostate cancer that they need to suppress. So talk to your uh, primary about it. You you could try Rogaine. You can buy Rogaine over the counter. Get a six-month supply for 30 bucks. You can go to stuff.drsteve.com and get that. But check with your primary provider. I think we got time for Dr. Scott. There's, I think we have time for this, Scott. We'll see. 
Hey, Dr. Scott, this is Dan in Texas. Hey, this may be for uh, Dr. Scott here. Yeah. Uh, um, I heard him talking about some herbal medicines. Uh, I've got, I heard him talking about a rash. Uh, I've got a uh, rash uh, right about my tailbone area, but I've had for a long time. It, uh, I have allergies, and I get this scratching, this, this weird scratching uh, right above my ass that uh, it just doesn't go away. And, and it's always kind of seasonal, but... Uh, it, it, it's always like a single pinpoint scratch area. That's interesting. I wonder if he's got genes that have nickel in them and have a stud there because some people have nickel allergies. What do you got? We've no, I, got a couple. We've got about a minute. No, I was thinking something like that. I was thinking also sometimes if you're sweating, you'll get you'll get ingrown hairs and. Um, that could be part of that rash. Yeah, right at the top of yeah. the ass crack, you're yeah. always worried about a pilonidal cyst. I've seen them on people with like catchers and athletes and things yep. underneath pilonidal They call it pilonidal Pilo- because it means a nest of hairs. I thought when you open them up, there's a bunch of ingrown hairs in there. I thought it meant fire. <laughs> fire? <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> All right, then. So uh, get that thing looked at. If it's yeah. a pilonidal cyst, it, really the only answer is to have it surgically removed. Yep. Maybe we can we can wax poetic. And it could be seasonal because sure. it could be uh, just when he's in the heat and the sweating and the sitting and all of that stuff uh, can just make it worse. But just get it looked at. It's impossible to diagnose a rash really through photographs. It's very difficult for me. I had a dermatologist that was really good at looking at pictures and telling what things were, but I never was very good at it. And uh, but it's usually pretty easy to do it when you're right in front of somebody when you're looking at it with your own two eyes so so uh, yeah get that looked at and let us know what they say in the meantime you can put a little hydrocortisone on it might uh, decrease the uh, itchiness of it we call it pruritus in uh, the medical profession because we have to have a different word for everything all right thanks always go to dr scott we can't forget rob sprantz bob kelly greg hughes anthony cumia jim norton travis Tep, that gould girl lewis johnson paul opcharsky chowdy 1008 the port charlotte whore the saratoga skank roland campos sister of chris sam robert she who owns pigs and snakes pat duffy dennis falcone matt kleinschmidt dale dudley holly from the gulf steve tucci the great rob bertlett Vicks Nether Fluids and Carl's Deviated Septum Bernie and Sid, Martha from Arkansas's daughter, Ron Bennington and Fizz Watley, whose support of the show has never gone unappreciated. Listen to our Sirius XM show on the Faction Talk channel Sirius XM, channel 103 Saturdays at 7pm Eastern Sunday at 6pm Eastern, on demand and other times at Jim McClure's pleasure. Many thanks to our listeners whose voicemail and topic ideas make this job very easy. Go to our website at drsteve.com for schedules and podcasts other crap until next time check your stupid nuts for lumps quit smoking get off your asses and get some exercise we'll see you in one week for the next edition of weird medicine